You know, if you think about it, our bodies follow the direction of our eyes, don't they? So if you're involved in sports or something like that, oftentimes you kind of have to think about where are your eyes pointed? Because your body is generally going to follow the direction where your eyes are pointed. I like to, I like to lift weights sometimes, right? So when I do the deadlift, you guys know what the deadlift is? Like where you just pick it up off the ground, right? They say, look up because then you're, you're going to go up if you look up, right? And it's important which direction your eyes are pointing. And of course, when you're walking down the street, sometimes we get distracted. We get on our phones, right? And we say, hey, look up. You know, there's a telephone pole right there or something. Or there's a car. Or it can be dangerous if we don't get our eyes up and pointed in the right direction. And in a very real way, I think that prayer is like the eyes of our heart. And we need to think about the direction of our prayers. Because the direction of our prayers, they often indicate the direction of our heart and the direction of our life. And they often determine the direction of our heart and the direction of our life. And so I want to look with you today at the first five verses of John chapter 17. Because here we see Jesus' prayer and we see the direction of his heart. Where was he looking? And so let's read these verses. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Amen? So in this prayer, we see the direction of Jesus' heart, but we also see, quite literally, the direction of his eyes. As he says, as it says, he looked up, right? And I want to focus in on that. But there's four things that I think that Jesus looks at in these five verses here as he prays to God the Father. And first of all, we see that he just looked up to heaven, right? Secondly, we see that he looked for God's glory. He talks about God's glory and the glory he had with God. He looked towards eternal life. And finally, he looked towards that goal, that end goal of being in the presence of God the Father forever. And I think these are all things that we need to be looking at as well and need to be looking at in our spiritual life and in our prayers. And so... Let's take a look at this, and before we do, though, let's look a little bit at the context of this prayer. You see, it's interesting that before John shares with us this prayer of Jesus, he says this, after Jesus said this, so what, what, after he said what? Well, really, we can go back and we can look at John 13, 14, 15, and 16, because all of that was really a time period was, was a consolidated time period right before Jesus went to the cross. It all happened within really a day or even an evening. 
And Jesus was preparing his disciples all the way from chapter 13 through chapter 16. Jesus is giving his final instructions to his disciples. And his words are full of encouragement, of hope, of exhortation. And so if you look back to John 13 verse 1, he says this when he starts this. He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples so much. He wanted to prepare them for what would happen. So that's what he says at the beginning of this section. And then at the end, Jesus ends with these words of comfort to the disciples. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. Do you have trouble in this world? We all have trouble in this world, don't we? We're all in the disciple spot here. And so Jesus knew that they would have trouble, and they would have great trouble because Jesus was going to die on the cross, which the disciples would not understand. And he's saying, listen, take heart. There's going to be difficult things, but take heart because I've overcome them. And at this point, it is that Jesus turns his attention to God the Father in prayer. And so here he had just spent several hours talking with the disciples, preparing them for these difficulties. And here's what I think is interesting and I think what, what is helpful for us to understand here is that Jesus spent all this time, several hours, preparing the disciples, encouraging them, telling, promising them that they would have comfort when the Holy Spirit comes, that they would have strength, that, that, that Jesus has overcome these things. And when he got done telling them everything they needed to know, guess what? He wasn't done. Because he still realized that he needed to pray. You see, the task wasn't finished in preparing his disciples until he prayed. Because Jesus knew that they would need that spiritual power as well. That that prayer would be vitally important for those disciples. And so, in, in one sense that we could say, when we look at the Gospels, that the Lord's Prayer is probably the most famous prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom... We probably all of us know the Lord's Prayer. But I would say that this is probably Jesus' most significant prayer. You see, that was important for the disciples to learn the Lord's Prayer at that time. Because at that time when Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer, they weren't really going through anything difficult, were they? It was just kind of like, hey, Jesus, you're praying. Can you teach us to pray? Yeah, this is pretty nice. Cool. Great prayer. But now the disciples... We're going through something that they didn't understand. And you know, these are the lessons that really stick for us. And Jesus knew that this would be a lesson that would really stick for them as he prayed and presented them with an example of prayer. And so really this prayer serves two purposes. First, it was a needed prayer in a difficult time for the disciples. But also Jesus was driving home his teaching on prayer and giving them an example of prayer. And I want you to think for a minute, too, about yourself and about your own prayer life. Because here we have an example of Jesus. You know what we see in this example of Jesus is that he, we read this prayer and it's kind of like a, reading someone's private prayer, right? But guess what? The disciples heard it. Jesus specifically prayed it in front of the disciples. And part of his prayer was praying for the disciples. And so let me ask you, have you ever thought about how your prayers can influence and affect other people. And I'm not just saying because you pray and then God does something great, but 
praying with that person. Instead of just saying, hey, brother or sister, I'm going to pray for you, and then going off, saying, listen, brother, sister, I want to pray for you right now. Because there's been many times in my life where someone said, listen, Caleb, I want to pray for you right now. And they put their arm around me and they prayed for me. And that made a difference in my life. Hearing those words. And I think that's important for us to realize that sometimes prayer is something that we need to do out loud with that person right now. Because it's important for them. And it's important for them to hear you as a brother or sister in Christ calling out to God on their behalf. It's an encouragement to them. It gives them spiritual strength when they hear that. So it's a very simple thing that we can do and that we should be doing. We should be praying with people when we have an opportunity. Why should we pray for others? First of all, it's a powerful testimony of, of our faith, and it will strengthen their faith. It brings comfort to them. It encourages them to also pray. And I think it just pleases God. There's a lot of power in praying with others in this way. Yes, last Sunday we talked about private prayer, which is so important, but there's also certain power in praying with others as well. So there's a couple of things that, before I look, we look at exactly this prayer, there's a couple of things overall to look at in this prayer. And what I love about this prayer is that we so clearly see the heart of Jesus in fact, if you want to see anyone's heart, look at their private prayers. But we just don't always have an opportunity to do that, right? But this prayer has three parts to it. And today we're going to look at the first part. And that's verses 1 through 5. And that is Jesus really praying for and about himself. And then the second part is verses 6 through 19 where Jesus prays specifically for his disciples. And then the final part, verses 20 through 26 is Jesus praying for you and me? Isn't that pretty amazing to think about, that Jesus prayed for you in this prayer before the cross in John chapter 17? Here is a prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me. And I think that this is also an example that we can take for ourselves in our prayers. We need to pray for ourselves, right? We need to pray for guidance and for strength and for growth in our faith. We need to praise God ourselves individually. But we also need to pray for those around us. And finally, we need to pray for those far off, like we did today when we prayed for Nepal. It reminds me of flying on an airplane. Uh, probably all of you have flown on an airplane at one time or another. And they always have these instructions, right? Before the airplane takes off, they get up and tell you all these safety instructions, which almost nobody pays attention to. And, and, and they tell you that when the oxygen masks come down, what do you do? You put yours on first, and then you help the person next to you if they need help, or the child next to you. Why? Because if you don't put yours on, you're not going to be any good to help the child or the person next to you. So in the same way, we do need to spend this time and pray for our own spiritual needs, and then pray for the needs of others you know, Jesus told his disciples that he would pray for them earlier. And here he was praying for him, for them. Look at John 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. He prayed with them. He prayed for them. He told them that he would pray for them. He did pray for them. 
But then Jesus also prayed for the millions and millions who would come after them. And I think that's important too, because sometimes we can just get caught up praying for myself, for my family, for my school, for my work, and our prayers just kind of become selfish. And we need that larger kingdom perspective of that God is doing great things all over the world. And look at what he's doing in Nepal or India or Nigeria or South Africa or the United States. Look at what he's doing and let's pray for these, these people as well. And that helps us to have that larger kingdom perspective. And then the final thing just to note about this prayer I think is interesting is that when you look at this prayer, if you study the book of John, you find that this is like a miniature book of John. So there are several themes in the book of John, and we see all of these themes come out in the prayer. We see obedience to the Father, the glory of the Father and the Son, the revelation of the Father through the Son, the calling of the disciples from the world, the mission of the disciples in the world, and the unity of of the disciples in the Son. And then we see the future of the believers as well. So we see all of these kind of in this prayer, this very concentrated, theologically speaking, prayer. So let's look at what Jesus said here. First of all, in verse 1, beginning, it says, uh, after these words, Jesus lifted his eyes to the heavens. And I think this is such an amazing picture. And I tried to, if you saw the first slide here, you know, this painting of Jesus looking up to the heavens. Honestly, it's not a way that I usually pray because I'm used to bowing my head, right? Because probably many of you are. But here, Jesus looked up and I don't think it's a coincidence that John tells us what Jesus looked like when he prayed. Because you can imagine that he spent all this time talking to the disciples and as he was talking to the disciples, you know, what do you do when you talk to someone? You look at them in the eyes, right? So I tell my kids, okay, Listen, I'm speaking to you, look at me in the eyes. Or if you're speaking to me, look at me in the eyes, right? Because that conveys meaning. It shows that I'm listening. It shows attention. And so here, Jesus turns his eyes from looking at the disciples to looking up. To looking up. And there's symbolism in it. There's meaning conveyed in it. First of all, it shows respect and honor for God the Father. It shows that he is giving God the Father his attention. It shows his humility as, as the Son. And it shows that he understands that God, the Father, is the source of his spiritual power. And it shows that there's a real relationship there. That he is now going to be talking to the Heavenly Father. And I think Jesus wanted his disciples to see that relationship between the Father and the Son. In fact, I even sometimes... As a father, I'm aware that, you know, if I call my father, that my kids are listening to how I speak to my father. Do I respect my father? Do I treat him badly? Do I pay attention to what he has to say? You know, sometimes my kids are watching, right, Nasca? <laughs> you, can, you, you can tell everyone afterwards whether or not I respect my father. And so, after this final instructions to the disciples, Jesus wanted to emphasize everything that he told them. And then he wanted to set that in stone through prayer. And I believe that Jesus also wanted the disciples to be able to raise their eyes and their hearts to the Heavenly Father. In fact, this seems like this was probably Jesus' regular way of praying. Because we see it uh, other times, 
uh, in the scripture that he, he uh, lifted his eyes, um, John eleven forty one says, So they took away the stone from the cave where the deceased was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. And there's a few other um, scriptures that talk about Jesus lifting his eyes. And really, you know, where this comes from is the Old Testament. We see this in the Psalms. Uh, for instance, Psalms 120 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains from where my help will come from. He's speaking about God here. My help is from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Psalm 122, I, to thee I lift my eyes who lives in heaven. And of course, there's meaning in this idea of lifting our eyes. This past summer, uh, we were in the U.S., and I had an opportunity to take uh, four of my kids to the mountain for a hike. There's the, yeah, there's the picture. So we went to Mount Rainier for this hike, and you know, as we're hiking along this mountain trail, usually as, as if you've ever been on a hike, usually hikes start kind of a little bit boring, right? There's not much to see. And, and you hike and hike, and we hiked for, I don't know, an hour and a half, maybe two. And, and then we came around this corner, around the side of this hill, and there we could see Mount Rainier. And there's our feet. Now let me ask you, were we looking at our feet at that point? Or were we looking at the mountain? We were looking at the mountain. But you could see, our feet were pretty dirty, weren't they? The trail was really dirty, in fact. It was dusty and dirty the whole way. And if we had just kept our eyes down on our feet the whole time, we could have just come away and said, well, that was, wasn't worth it. All I saw was dirt and dust. I could have seen that at home. But you see, we have to lift our eyes up, don't we? Because when we lift our eyes up, and you can go to the next picture. When we lift our eyes up, where is it? Next one? Maybe? Oh, it's not there. Go back. Go back to the first one where you see the mountain. When we lift our eyes up, friends, we see God's majesty. And we, we are in awe of it. We see his greatness and we see his glory. And I think that that's just an illustration of our lives because we're all kind of walking that dirty path, aren't we? And that's a, that's a small perspective when we only have our eyes focused on those difficulties that are directly in front of us, that are directly under our feet. And God wants us to be able to, time to from time, to lift our eyes up away from the rubbish and things that fill our lives and, and focus on Him. In order to do that, we have to have that long perspective to see the wide angle, to see the mountains. Probably Chandra could talk about this a lot better than I can. Because he has bigger mountains than Nepal, right? But in your difficulties, raise your eyes to the mountains. In your worries, raise your eyes to God who can give peace and stability. In your fears, raise your eyes to God who is a strong and able conqueror. In your busyness, raise your eyes to God who can calm your heart. And in your pain, raise your eyes to God who can give you healing. Lift your eyes to Him. Lift the eyes of your heart to Him. 
That is what Jesus did before his crucifixion. But there's a second thing we see here. He says a little bit later uh, in this verse, one, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son will glorify you. Jesus looked for God's glory. And I like this picture of the mountain, you know, because when we think about the mountain, you know, we see glory there, don't we? We see God's glory there. And Jesus was focused on God's glory. That was the direction of his life. We're often caught up in our own glory, aren't we? We're caught up in our own image, in our own success, in our own aspirations, in our own experiences. And God wants us to be caught up in his glory because his glory is, is, is thousands and millions of times greater than any glory that we could ever reach on our own. What is God's glory? Well, there's a couple of things. There's two words. One is doxa in Greek, and the other is kavod in, uh, in Hebrew. And they, they literally mean like to shine, like some sort of something bright that is shining, that is, that is radiating. But figuratively, they speak of God's honor, His majesty, and His praiseworthiness. So when we, think, when we speak of God's glory, because I know that we can use these sort of church words and throw them around without even really understanding what we're talking about, right? Glory. You know, we just kind of throw, oh, glory. Oh, that's glorious. Glory to God, you know. What are we talking about? Really, God's glory is the manifestation of His goodness, of His holiness, of His power, of, of His nature. Things that show who God really is. So when we are living for God's glory, we are living to show ourselves and to show everyone around us who God really is, that He really is great, that He really is powerful, that He really is loving, that He really is kind, that He really does forgive. All of those things we are living to show when we're living for His glory. And so that means that anything in my life that points to God's goodness, to His holiness, to His love, to His power, is also pointing to His glory. And we can give glory to God when we worship. We can give glory directly to our songs in worship. But we can also give glory to God in our life and in our work and in our education and in our families. Simply by obeying Him. By living according to His will. In fact, that's really what Jesus did here, right? So listen, I, I, I've done what you asked me to do. I've glorified you. God introduces his glory in the book of Exodus. It's the first time we see God's glory you know, exactly described. And, and, and it's interesting, the book of Exodus, it was actually, you remember what it was? What was God's glory in the book of Exodus when he brought the people out of Egypt? Cloud by day and fire by night, right? So it was literally something visible to them. Today, we don't necessarily see that, right? But to them, it was literally something visible. Exodus 16, verse 10 says, While Aaron was speaking to the whole, the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Wouldn't that been amazing to see? And it's kind of like, you know, sometimes every once in a while, there's some really cool clouds around Odessa, you know, they come in, a big storm, and we're, we're sitting there, and it's like, there's something awe-inspiring about that. Like, wow, it's amazing. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it's a little bit dangerous. And I think that's what God's glory was like. It was like, it was this cloud, and people looked at it, it's like, 
wow, that's amazing. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And it's a little dangerous. I don't want to get too close, right? God's glory was the center of his plan for Israel. He led the people with his glory. It says that he saved the people for his glory. And it says that he taught them to live for his glory. Ironically, it was the Israelites who were afraid of his glory, right? When God came down on Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments, what did the Israelites do? They said, uh, Moses, you go up there. We don't want to go up there. You go up there. It's scary. And it was, it was Moses that sought his glory. Friends, we need to be people who seek God's glory. It can be scary. But ultimately, it is good. Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19 says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness. You get that? He says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll call it, cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. God's glory is his goodness. It's his nature. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But I won't read the whole section here. But later God says, I'm not going to show you the whole thing. Because you know what it's like a little bit? It's like, it's like looking at the sun. You know? The sun is good, right? It warms us. Our food grows because of it. We like it when it's a sunny day and we can go outside. But you can't just sit there and stare at the sun. It'll burn up your retina. And so God says, it's a little too much for you. I'm only going to show you part of my glory. And so Moses saw God's glory and God's glory is his kindness and his mercy and his strength and his wisdom and his justice and his holiness and his majesty. And honestly, it is too much for us. But God gives us enough. And here's the amazing thing. You remember what happened to Moses once he saw God's glory? He came down and what happened? He had to cover his face. Like, like he shone, literally, right? So, so here's the thing. God's glory changed Moses, right? When Moses was with God, it changed him. Exodus 34, verse 29 says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. What is it? What does it mean to speak with the Lord? That's prayer, isn't it? Isn't that prayer? He spoke with the Lord, and so it changed him. God's glory changes us. And prayer changes us. Because you can't pray sincerely without coming into God's presence and touching His glory. And I think that that's important for us to remember. You cannot sincerely pray. Pray with a heart that is sincerely seeking God and not somehow touch God's glory. Unfortunately, there's a lot of fake glory in the church. There's a lot of what people call glory, but it's not really glory. It's just fake glory. It's just sort of on the surface. It's just sort of like glory makeup. It's like those face filters on Instagram, right? And you put those face filters on, all of a sudden, you know, all, all, of, the, all of the blemishes go away, and, and it looks like, I don't, actually, I don't, never, I never do those things, so I don't, and it really messes up on the beard, because um, it can't get rid of the beard, but, but you know, that, that's, that's fake, and there's a lot of fake glory that goes around in churches. It's passed off as glory, and all it really is is just a few emotions, and then people leave the service, and 
they go back to living a life that is not pleasing to God. You see, real glory happens on the inside before it is seen on the outside. And we need real glory in our lives. We need God's glory, first of all, in our private prayers. We need them in our apartments, in our bedrooms, in our homes, and in our families, in the hidden places of our lives. But when we do find God in prayer, God changes us because His glory changes us. And then secondly, you know, when we go into private prayer and spend time with God, it changes us, but it also allows us to pass that on to others, doesn't it? It's noticeable. It should be noticeable. Because it's really impossible to touch God's glory without passing it in some way onto others because we become a mirror of God's glory. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but with our open face, as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Spirit of the Lord. God transforms us through those prayers and then he uses us in the lives of other people. Just like he used Moses. Just like he used Jesus. But there's a final thing about the glory here that I think is important. That is that Jesus' glory was his sacrifice on the cross. You see, we tend to associate glory with amazing and great and wonderful things, right? Like we just, I don't know if you watch the Olympics, right? You watch the Olympics and... You know, somebody got the gold medal. Wow, it's glorious, right? They had victory. They got the gold medal. And it's such a high point in life. And we tend to associate. And there is glory in that, honestly. But when we think about the Christian life, we have to understand that God uses even the most difficult things in our life for glory. And so we have to change our perspective a little bit. Those things that the world would say, that's not glory. We look at it and we say, but it, for God, it is glory. Because that wasn't glorious for Jesus to be up there on that cross in front of everyone and be humiliated and, and, and take on your sin and my sin and, and be in this spot where nobody would look at that at that time and say, well, that's glorious. But the cross for us is glorious. Sacrifice for us as Christians is glorious. And also 2 Corinthians here, I think Paul helps us to understand this when he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What does that mean? What's the point of a jar of clay? It's not very glorious, right? A jar of clay can be cracked, can have holes in it, can have mistakes in it, but the more cracked it is, what? The more God's glory shines through those cracks. And so the point of the Christian life isn't to be the most amazing, perfect on the outside as I can be, but rather to let God's glory shine through even all of my mistakes and the difficulties of my life. Now, two more things that I want to mention here briefly. And that is that in verses 2 and 3, 
we see that Jesus looked towards eternal life. And it's important that we keep this perspective as well. He says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we see that in this prayer here, Jesus is summarizing God's great plan of salvation. Jesus knew that God will never receive more glory than through the salvation of me and you. Taking people that cannot save themselves and saving them. That's his miracle. That's the greatest miracle. And that is for his glory. And so I think that as we think of our prayers too, and as we think of our prayers for ourselves, we need to keep the gospel central to our prayers. We need to thank God for the gospel, for his saving power in our life, for his forgiveness in our life, for his grace and mercy in our life. And we need to be thinking about how we can pass that on to others as well. We need to keep the gospel central in our prayers. Eternal life, forgiveness, a relationship with God, these aren't just theological concepts for us, but they are the very reason why we can come to God in prayer. So let's never forget that as we go to prayer. Let's not rush to our list of things that we want. Let's spend time praising and thanking God for his plan of eternal life. And Jesus kept this concept central to his prayer. It was the driving force of his life. It was the reason that he came to earth. And it was the purpose behind all of his teachings. This was the reason that he allowed himself to go to the cross. And so we need to also keep the central role of the gospel alive in our prayers. And then finally, in verses, verse uh, 4 and 5 here, Jesus prays this. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the beginning of the world. Here we see one simple way to glorify God the Father. What is it? By doing the work that he's given you to do. By doing the work that he's given you to do. You know, we're not so unlike Jesus in the sense that God has given us each a work that we need to do in this life. And we need to be faithful to God by faithfully doing the work that he has called us to do. And so that means simply obeying his commands in our life, living a life that is pleasing to him, following his lead in our life, serving him wherever we can and however we can, and living a pure and holy life. What an amazing and simple way we can bring glory to God. Simple, but not always easy, right? It can be very difficult to do, but thankfully God gives us the strength for that. We'll see that later on in this prayer as we look at that in uh, the following Sundays. So don't underestimate the ability of a life quietly but God, the ability of that life to give God glory. And holy live to God has more potential to give God glory than a loud public life that promotes God's glory only on the surface. So here we see Jesus' great desire once again in the presence and glory of God the Father. That's what he looked forward to. 
That's what he promised the disciples. Remember back in John chapter 14, when he, when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back for you. He says, I'm going to the Father's house and there are many rooms there for you. This was the whole point of it. We're going to be together in God's presence. And many of you, many of us today are away from our parents. We long to see them. That'll be a wonderful reunion when we do see them, right? We look forward to that because there is a relationship there. There is love there. How much more than our reunion with God the Father will be wonderful and permanent. And sadly, many Christians don't even think about that today. They're too busy living this life just to live this life. And we don't long for it much, but we need to put that in the center of our prayers too. this idea of being in the presence of the Heavenly Father. And I think that when we do, God will reignite certain passions for righteousness and holiness in our hearts. So let me ask you today, have, have you looked up to God in your prayers? Have you looked up to the heavens as Jesus looked up? Let's look up and let's give him glory. Let's look up and let's share with him our struggles. Let's look up and anticipate his loving and kind hand. Let's look up to his salvation. Let's look up because we have a good and kind father who is holy and caring and who wants us to look up and see him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing a, a song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us these truths in your word. That we see the example of Jesus in his prayer. And I pray that you would help us to look up to you, to your love and your kindness and to your glory. Make that a central theme of our life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.